0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Hoops and F-E-V-E-S-E podcast. Um, As we talked about earlier in the week, uh, this episode is going to be a little bit different. We have three black voices uh, here in DFW that are going to be discussing racism, uh, social injustice and uh, police brutality and just giving their own experiences of having to deal with this throughout their life. I'm really excited to give this off to everyone and letting them just give their own voice uh, on our platform. The first person that you're going to hear from today is going to be Dorothy Gentry. As you know, she is a media member here in Dallas covering the Mavericks, the Wings, alongside other teams in sports. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just let you listen to what she has to say.
2: Good morning. This is Dorothy Gentry, uh, Dorothy J. Gentry on Twitter and Instagram, social media. I want to begin by saying thank you to Reddit Mavericks for um allowing me this opportunity to just share a few thoughts um, on the current state of affairs right now, um, for asking me to um, give my viewpoint. And I appreciate the opportunity. Um, Two words, I'm tired. As a journalist, as a black journalist, as a mom, as the mom of a 17-year-old son, black male, um, as just a person, as a human being. Um, just tired of the unfairness, of the um, having the weight of the world on um, our shoulders. I think, and this is just my personal opinion... Um, That being black is a beautiful thing. That's who the Lord made us. Um, Nothing at all makes me more proud than being black, African American. But it comes with a price. It comes with a price that I think white America, um, I think society as a whole is just now realizing How expensive the price African Americans pay just to live, just to breathe. Oh, did I say breathe? Yeah, breathe. Like what George Floyd was trying to do a couple of weeks ago. Just to breathe, just to wake up in the morning. There's such a steep price we pay for just living through no fault of our own. And it's crazy to me. It's always been crazy to me. My dad, rest in peace. Clarence H. Gentry was one of the first black journalists in Dallas. Papers like the times hurled, and you know that the major publications wouldn't give him the time of day. He worked very, very hard. He covered um, the minority communities, the injustices back then, in the '60s and '70s. Not not too long ago now, we're talking fifty years here um, for the black press. And then he moved to Houston and covered the communities and the city of Houston for the black press there. The same stuff that he dealt with. I'm going to say stuff because I I don't I try not to curse. I don't curse, really. But the same stuff that he dealt with years and years, decades ago. We're still dealing with in 2020. 2020. I want to talk from a parent angle now. I've had the talk with my son, Jeremiah. He's 17. He's a senior. um, Honor roll student. Has always been an honor roll student on an academic scholarship at a private school in Dallas. Good kid. But when they see him. As the Ava DuVernay film entitled When They See Us showed America, when they see him, when they see my son, when they see Jeremiah, they don't see anything other than a black kid, a.k.a. America's Most Wanted, a.k.a. a Threat clutch the pearls, clutch your purse, clutch whatever you're holding on to, freeze up when he passes by. How do you think that makes me feel as a mother? Especially the kind of mom I am and the kind of mother I know most mother, most black mothers are who love their kids and sacrifice for them. How do you think it feels for us to know that our child? Our children that we gave birth to, that we love and nurture, just like everybody else loves and nurtures their children, is seen as a threat. That is such pain. That causes such anger. That causes such hurt. So I've had to have the discussion with Jeremiah. The whole what do you do when you get stopped by a police? Don't mouth off. Don't do this. Don't do that. Can't do this. Can't do that. Can't breathe right. Can't, don't make any sudden moves. Don't flinch. Don't di- That's tiring. That is very tiring. He doesn't understand a lot of it. But mama, I didn't even do anything. I'm like, son, I know you didn't do anything. I know but you aren't afforded the luxury of just being like your white friends or like your white classmates or like your classmates of other races. You don't get to have that luxury. I'm sorry, son. That's a hard conversation for a mom, for a dad to have with their child. But everybody doesn't have that conversation. Only black parents have that conversation. I'm tired. I'm tired. I think about George Floyd and just seeing him with the almost nine minute video murder. It was so hard to watch. It was so hard to hear the things that he was saying. And the look on the face of the police officer. And then the other ones just, to, I just, it makes my blood boil. And I'm so grateful to the young lady who videotaped the murder. She will forever have a place in history, rightfully so, for turning the tides of America. I really feel like, you know, 2020 has been something else, you know. And I know I'm going all over the place right now because I have a lot on my mind, a lot of things going on, you know, but I think it all, it all comes together. You know, twenty twenty started with the death of um, NBA uh, commissioner, former NBA commissioner David Stern, and then what? Two, three weeks later, the unthinkable happens with the death of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gigi, and the other um, passengers on the helicopter. That stopped a lot of people, and then other. You know, small, smaller things happened and, you know, other, you know, issues arose. And then March comes and the coronavirus pandemic stops the entire world in its tracks. I mean, stopped in its tracks. Schools shut down, businesses, people lost jobs. Everybody's stuck in the house. Um you know, mask and gloves and Lysol and toilet paper and paper towel and restaurants closing and just sports. I'm a sports writer, sports. I was at the Mavericks game the night the sports stopped. In the third quarter of the Mavericks game versus the Denver Nuggets is when it came down to the league was, camp- was suspending the season. So everybody's been in the house for the past two and a half months or so, you know, battling this invisible virus that's taking lives. And then we have Ahmaud Arbery minding his own business, jogging down the street, and then he gets murdered by racists, I said it, for being black. Jogging while being black. I thought I heard everything a few years ago when it was driving while being black. You never heard jogging while being black. And then we have Breonna Taylor. Killed in her own home. We can't even sit up in the house and watch Netflix and chill with the a fear of being shot. And then George Floyd. Horrific murder. God rest his soul. I'm tired. I'm tired. But if you know anything about me. You know that I'm a woman of faith. I don't proselytize. I don't. You know do all of that. But it's clear where I stand. It's clear what. Is my greater hope? Because my hope is definitely not in this world. If we live in a fallen world, we live in a world full of sin. You know, nobody me included, you know. My hope is not in, in this world or of this world. So I believe that all of these incidents, the things I just. all the things I just mentioned. Um, and especially the, the racial unrest that is occurring right now can be for a better future good. That That's my hope for our children, our children's children. But that won't happen until America, until this country... Repents for the sin, the original sin of racism. You can't just keep teaching generations and generations of kids and youth, uh, 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 white kids and white youth that you're better than or that they are better than. We are all, we all bleed the same. (laughs) We bleed the same. There's no different color blood that comes out of me if you cut me, that comes out of a white person if you cut them. We all bleed the same. Black people are tired, and rightfully so. It's now time for the Talking to stop for the. Um, oh, I have I have black friends. Those types of you know comments to stop being made. It's time to. Move around and allow. Um, not allow. That's a bad choice of words. Um, give us a seat at the table. Give us the table. Forget the seat, the table. You know, um, I just, I, I just, I have so much on my mind, you know, and then I think about journalism, you know, and and being, you know, the writer and, and reporter, you know, that I am as as well as an, edu- I'm a teacher as well as an educator, you know. Um, I think about my students and I think about, you know, my black students and how they feel, you know, um, growing up, you know, I, I think about the, um, troubles I've had, um, you know, trying to make it in, uh, the field of journalism, you know, going to school and going to college and getting degrees and all of that, you know, only to be stopped a lot of the times I really and truly believe, you know, by the color, they see a black woman first, and then you have a 20, 21 year old, uh, you know, white college student or college journalism graduate who gets, you know, the opportunity that you didn't get. And it can only be one of y'all. It'll only be one of y'all at a publication or at, or at a, um, a a station. You know, so it's just, it's a lot on my mind right now. But I think first and foremost um, is Black Lives Matter point blank period. Black lives matter. My reason is my son, Jeremiah. He matters. And every single day I'm wondering, is this the day? Is this the day? And I hate to have that, that secret fear in my heart, but that secret fear is there. I mean, I don't have faith. Doesn't mean I don't, I don't trust the Lord with my son. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means, there's a secret fear that every black parent has, especially black parents of black sons. You know, my son would go away to college in another year. Lord will. And all of these colleges, you know, have been, um, you know, reaching out. And, you know, he has, he has about 17 offers, college offers. I'm not glorying in that. Because I'm watching and I'm listening and I'm seeing the response or lack thereof of these colleges and universities that are interested in my son coming to their school. I'm looking at the response or lack thereof to George Floyd's murder and to the racial unrest that's going on in our country. And I want to see some support for Black Lives Matter. I want to see some support for um, no more oppression of black people from these colleges and universities or they won't see my son. I will not send my son anywhere where he's considered a commodity and you can't speak out against Black Lives Matter. I have so much in my mind. I'm thinking about HBCUs and how this is an opportunity for the strength of those institutions that have raised so many of our uh, uh you know prominent you know doctors and lawyers and actors and entertainers and physicians and pharmacists and engineers and it's time for them now to get some shine the pwis have always gotten the shine it's time it's time for the hbcus to get some shine the gramlins and the prairie views the North Carolina AT&T, and the Spellmans, and the Clark Atlanta, and the Howards of the world. So there can be some good to come out of the tragic murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Maude Arbery, and all the other names. There can be some good that will come out of this racial unrest. We need to keep protesting, need to keep asking the questions Need to keep um, pounding the pavement. Need to keep it up for change to happen. A change is going to come. I appreciate life right now. Especially seeing the life dragged out of or choked out of George Floyd. Now I pray for his family, and his, his children, and his brothers, extended family, friends. What a way to go! But his murder is not in vain. It won't be in vain. Things will never be the same. There's no turning back. There's no turning back. There's no turning back. For this country. And we have to thank. A young lady. Who witnessed. A murder and had the foresight. To get it on camera. There's no going back now. God rest. In peace. George Floyd. Maude Arbery. Breonna Taylor, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and all the others. None of your deaths will be in vain. There is no going back now. I know I said quite a bit. <laughs> maybe rambled a little bit. I don't know. That's just where my state of mind is right now. I can only be me. I thank you for listening again. Thank you, Reddit Mavericks for the invitation to just share my thoughts. Um, I'm appreciative. I thank you to all of you who follow me on social media, who think what I have to say is important or, or funny or interesting or that you need to know. And, um, I sign off by saying what I always say in my Twitter and social media posts. And if you know me, then you know what I'm about to say. Keep looking up cuz that's where it's at. Thank you.
1: Next up, you will hear from friend of the podcast, uh Connolly. Uh as he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, you guys already know him fairly well. But he's just going to give you a little bit about how he's feeling currently throughout all of the situation. And now here's Conley.
3: Hey, everybody. Um, so I'm not going to talk a long time about everything. I just kind of wanted to sum up how I'm feeling, uh, at this certain point of time. I think I could just sum everything up by saying I'm tired. Um, (laughs) I'm tired of waking up every single morning. Imagine that every single morning. Um, and wondering if this day would be my last day on earth. Um, I'm tired of worrying about a police officer pulling me over and, um, (laughs) ending my life, to be honest. Um, as much as some people will think that this is a recent thing, this has been going on forever. Um, I've worried about this. Ever since I've started driving. My my dad warned me about this since I've started uh, doing driving school. Uh, and I'm 30 now. So, was that? 14, 15 years, half my life. This is something that I've been concerned about. And that is exhausting. Like, you can't imagine how exhausting that is. It's... Um, I'm tired of not being excited about things that I shouldn't be excited about. Like, no, I'm just a I'm a normal person. I I like basketball. I like music. I I like podcasts. I like arts. I like video games. But nowadays. It's hard to be excited about those things. It's hard to... Just take all the stuff that's going on right now... And put it in the back of your mind... So you can focus on the stuff that... You love to do. That you love to watch. You love to listen to. Because for other people... Yeah, they they recognize that this is a problem. But for me... This is reality, you know, like I have to go through this every day, every night, every time I walk out that front door, every time I get in my car and drive on the road, I I have to deal with this. I had to be cautious about this type of stuff. And I'm tired of people... In positions of power, who are supposed to have everybody's interest, um, everybody's interest in mind, um, not giving a fuck about people like me because of how I look um, or where I'm from. It shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like how it is right now. Police are are killing people who look like me. And there's no consequence for it at all. I know people personally who have been arrested for marijuana stuff and have been in jail and been charged quicker than the government is acting on some of these police killings. Um, and that scares me. Because it makes me feel not human. You know, it, it it's like, hey... This person can hurt you. This person can kill you. Um, But we're going to take our time in punishing him. It just makes me feel like nobody gives a fuck. About um, about me. The sad part is. I've kind of made my peace with. The fact that they're going to be, be people who judge me and who fear me because of how I look. Um and <laughs> that's sad. That's that's just sad that I've made my peace with that. I want to do everything I can to make sure it's better for the next generation, but It's just hard to, to feel positive about things it's, it's really hard um, lately I haven't really been myself um, I try I, I really try um, but it's it's hard. Um, I'm, I'm just tired. I'm just tired of everything right now. So that's that's just a little taste of how I feel right now.
1: Lastly, today, you are going to hear from a comrade of Mind Radiance. She is the Rachel Justice lead for the North Texas Chapter of the Democratic Socialist of America. She has been on the front lines of a lot of the protests that have been happening here in Dallas, and she's also a nurse in the area. So she gives a great insight as to how this not only affects her, but how the Black Lives Matter movement is important to everyone here in America.
0: Hey, everybody, my name is Radiance. I am the Racial Justice Lead for. The Democratic Socialists of America North Texas chapter. I was asked by Alex and Ruben to kind of give an overview of some of the events happening this week and share with some of their listeners why we are seeing things turn into what they've turned into. So I know that some of you may have possibly heard statements like this isn't the way to protest. And so let's talk about that for a second. One of the reasons that that is incorrect is because there's no way to protest apparently that will satisfy people. And the whole point of a protest is to inconvenience people. So anytime an inconvenience occurs, a protest is correct. And so what we are seeing now is an inconvenience. Some people might call it rioting or looting. However, I call it a very strategic plan to go after the United States in the language that it speaks best, which is capitalism. Black people have made their concerns with law enforcement known for centuries. And we have been yelling Black Lives Matter for the better part of a decade. And we still haven't been heard. So if we say it and no one is listening, then we have to find a different avenue. And what is that avenue? Well, in the United States, it's capital. The best way to get America to listen to the problems that are going on are by speaking to them in their capitalistic language. And that looks like the destruction of property. That is the best way to successfully get America to hear the concerns of Black people. Because Black people have been saying the same thing for centuries, and no one's listened. But I guarantee you, they'll listen to the CEO of Target, who is going to complain about their stores being destroyed. So it's actually a very strategic move to get people to listen. Something else you might be hearing going on this week is defund the police or abolish the police. So for many of us in the socialist circle, this is not a new phrase or statement And for many Black people, it's not a new phrase or statement. However, some of you might be hearing that for the first time, and it might be a weird concept to consider a world without policing. However, the rebuttal to that usually is, well, not all cops. And... I read an interesting article a couple of weeks ago that talked about white women that call the police on people and and the responses and I've asked Alex to share the link to that article. And I want to go to point number two and replace white women with cops. And let's talk about that. So that point says that we can compare the cops to sharks, right? So if I go swimming and I'm at a beach and all of a sudden a shark swims up next to me, I know that sharks have bitten people, right? But do I know that this specific shark has bitten anyone? No, there's no way for me to know that. So do I stay in the hopes that this is one of those good sharks that won't bite me? Or do I try to find a way to safely get out of there without being attacked? Of course, I'm going to try to get away from the shark because I don't know what this shark is capable of. I don't know what's on this shark's mind, but I do know that sharks have a history of attacking people. So consider that before you say, not all cops, because essentially what you're telling a black person is to stay in the ocean with that shark. And if you are a white person, you're actually telling a black person, stay in the ocean with that shark while I'm at the resort swimming pool not even in danger of being hurt by that shark. We don't experience the same dangers. So it's really not fair to come up with solutions or suggestions or not all statements when a lot of what we're dealing with never affected you to begin with. But let's talk about one of those statements. So, One of the statements that we also hear is, it's just a few bad apples. Well, a few bad apples spoil the whole bunch. And quite frankly, I have yet to see any of these so-called good apples or good cops intervene when one of their bad apple cops is brutalizing another human being. So as far as I'm concerned, they're all bad apples. And they're not just bad apples, they're also bad apples that like to cover for each other. So, I don't know if some of you saw the video that the police union made that they released today or yesterday, I'm sorry, but it was just complete performative bullshit. It meant nothing they just got up and held signs that say we see you we hear you well the question is well what are your actionable items now that you've seen and you've heard us i don't think you haven't seen or you haven't heard us i think you just don't care you haven't said you understood and you plan to make meaningful change and i know this because most of the time when politicians stand up and yell about a police officer doing something wrong, it's the police union that immediately demands their resignation. Interesting point, I'm a nurse, and I know for a fact that if I did something that harmed a patient, the National Nurses United, the biggest nursing union in the United States, the Texas Nursing Association, our legal body in Texas, neither of them would stand up and demand someone resign if they condemned my actions. The police union is nothing more than a mafia. They stand and protect their own at all costs and will do everything in their power to destroy anyone that comes in their way. So the performative bullshit video that they did yesterday means absolutely nothing. And even when you look at the comments on it, someone asked about accountability and the president of the police union basically put it back on Chief Hall. Don't get me wrong, she holds some responsibility And probably most responsibility in all of the actions of many of the police officers we've seen that have brutalized people this week. However, the police union also holds responsibility for making sure that whatever happens gets swept under the rug or putting enough fear into our politicians that if anyone challenges them, they know that they'll come after their job. So the police union is just as responsible for many of the deaths we've seen in this country as any cop and when i say that i'm not just speaking about dallas i'm speaking about the entire country whatever gang you think of when you hear the word gang i promise you police officers and the police union are a thousand times more dangerous much more destructive and much more skillful at covering their tracks than any other gang you could possibly think of. Because that's really what they are. They're a gang, they do what they want, and they, t- t- they have each other's backs, and they destroy anyone that questions their authority or what they've done in the process. So the big question now is where do we go from here? I know for a lot of people it's difficult to envision a world without policing. However, look at the world we live in now. It's funny that someone posted on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, our forefathers wouldn't want us to live in this police state. And my response was, this is exactly what they wanted. The police in America were created for two reasons, to catch slaves and protect capital. At one point, those were the same thing. And when I say that the police in this country were created to catch slaves, that is literally what they were created to do. So it's no surprise that they do what they're doing now. Now, because we don't have slaves anymore, except for prison, what we do know is that that has kind of severed into two roles. So we have animalizing black people, and then we have protecting capital. They still do both. They're just not the same thing anymore. Let me give you an example. Brutalizing people in the street, animalizing black people. However, the protecting capital. So let's look at our curfew zone that we had this last week. Did you notice anything specific about it? It protected businesses. It protected the area that had the high-end businesses, capital. That is what the police are designed to do. They don't know any better. So anyone that says, well, where we go from here is just recreating the police with a different vision in mind. We also know that that won't work. Here's an example. If you're 20 years or older, ICE was created in your lifetime, right? This is a brand new entity that was created. And what do we know that they do? They animalize immigrants. So how is creating a new police force the solution when we know that one has been created and has done exactly what police in this country have always done, which is brutalize black indigenous people of color. And then if your solution is, well, let's add more black and brown cops to the police force, that doesn't fix anything. Black and brown cops actually benefit from the same systems of white supremacy that protect their white counterparts in their enforcement agency. So that's also not a solution. Let's get the cops more involved in the community. That's absolutely not what any of us want. That would just make bad matters worse. More policing is never the answer. All that does is cause police in those communities to criminalize poverty, which isn't fair. Seeing as systemic racism caused the poverty that many black and brown people experience today. And I know right now some of you may be conflicted at hearing what I'm saying because you've seen the video of the cop that played basketball with the kids in the neighborhood or had snacks with the kids in the neighborhood or bought that black woman a car seat instead of arresting her for driving without a car seat for her baby. But here's the thing. I'm more mad about the systems in place that allowed a woman to live in such poverty that she couldn't afford a car seat for her child. That's the problem. And that is because of systemic racism and capitalism. That is not the responsibility of the police officer. And yes, he may have done it, but I'm also concerned what's going to happen when that black baby grows up and becomes 15 or 16 and is now viewed as an animal in that same police officer's eyes. So please don't think that a few good actions that get publicized here and there mean that somehow better training or more compassion is the solution because it's not because police will always result back to what they were created to do and that is to animalize black indigenous people of color and protect capital and so here's the interesting thing a lot of people get nervous when we say things about prison and police abolition but here's the thing even though You as a white person, if you're listening, might not be in as much danger as I am as a black person in this country with a police officer. Note that when I said that their purpose was to animalize black indigenous people of color and protect capital, that's still not you. So they might not be as dead set on hurting you as they are on me, but they're also not here to protect you either. And then people, of course, result to the big question. Well, what about the crime? Well, police don't actually solve crime and they sure as hell don't prevent anything from happening. And most of the crime that we think of are not crimes. They're just people that are victimized by systemic racism that has caused them to live in poverty. And we decide as a nation to criminalize that. That's all it is. And then people say, well, what about the rapists and the murderers? Well, one, cops don't prevent any of that from happening. And speaking as someone who the day after her sexual assault told police officers and they said and their response was, well, you let him in your home and you previously dated. So I don't think anyone would believe you and left. I guarantee you not much is going to change not having police officers to deal with sexual assaults, especially considering that we have so many untested rape kits as it is. There are a lot of people that still don't have justice, yet somehow we keep getting more and more cops. So what do we do instead of police officers? We invest in the communities. Instead of continuing to fund their military-grade weapons and investing in more police officers, we take that money that we would have spent and we use that for social service programs. We use that to build up these communities that have been victimized by systemic racism and have been forced to live in poverty, and we bring them up. And I promise you, you you'll find when we do that, crime decreases, because we give people what they need. I encourage you to take a journey and read books that talk about prison and police abolition, because sometimes It's better for us to understand these things once we have that revelation on our own. The best book that I always encourage people to read, and not just because he's a comrade of mine, but also a very gifted writer, is Alex Vitale's The End of Policing. It's currently free right now as an ebook on Verso Books. So I encourage you to read that. It really talks about the purpose of policing in this country and what they were trained to do and really spells out some of the issues that we have with how they choose to police in this nation and why reformation will never work because it'll always go back to what they were created to do originally when they were created to animalize indigenous people to take their land or catch runaway slaves or free slaves and take them and drop them off in a different spot so that they could re-enslave them. As long as those are the roots of policing in this country, somehow we will always go back to those. So what do you do when you see people angry in the street you have two options you can join them join their fight and help amplify it but if that's not something you can do for whatever reason there are other ways to get plugged in whether that's making snacks or water or tear gas solution there are so many ways that you can get involved in helping the people in your community stand up to police And I hope that in doing that, you're paying attention to what's going on when you see these marches and these riots. Because if you notice, everything's peaceful until the police show up. The police are the ones that always instigate the violence because that's all they're trained to do is to escalate. So I I ask that you watch the next time you see something on Facebook or the news, watch the interaction between the people and police right up until the point that they Start shooting the rubber bullets or deploy the tear gas and look at how the protesters are interacting with the police officers. And I promise you, you won't see violence from them. The police always escalate and it doesn't matter what Black Lives Matter sign they post or they're kneeling blue for black lives bullshit that they did the other day all of it's just performative bullshit to try to get back in the good graces of white people they know that they've lost black people there's no point in even trying with us but this week was a pretty shitty week for them so they're going to do whatever they can to try to win back a few people that they may have lost please don't fall for those traps because they have zero intention of changing they will always do what they were created to do and that is animalize us And if you are a true ally, you have to understand that there's no middle ground for us. It's police abolition only. And the reason is because any other suggestion takes us back to the analogy I mentioned in the beginning where you're telling me to continue swimming next to that shark. No ally would ever tell me to continue swimming next to that shark. So if you are true about being an actual ally, I encourage you to read that book I suggested, The End of Policing, and really go on a journey of police abolition. Because unless you can go on that journey and come out on the other side and understand that that's the only way, you're not an ally. So what do you do once you get to that point? Well, here comes the difficult part now you actually have those conversations with people. As a black woman, you're going to be exposed to way more white people than I probably would. Some of it is because of racism and segregation that still goes on to this day. Some of it is my own self-preservation because of racism and segregation that still go on to this day. But now you have the difficult conversations with your family members. You talk to them about why police abolition needs to happen. You talk to them about the Black Lives Matter movement. You talk to them about why they see people behaving the way they do in the streets and explain to them that this is the only necessary way to be heard. Those conversations might not be easy, but I promise you they are way easier than me living as a Black woman in the South. Thank you for listening.
1: I want to thank everyone again for lending their voices to the podcast for this week and i want to thank everybody today for listening to the podcast and while next week we may go back to talking about basketball that doesn't mean that the fight to end racial injustice ends on this episode keep fighting black lives matter that's all